0: Hallelujah, dear church. Good to see everyone. Praise Jesus. I'm honored um, and uh, privileged to be here. Thank you, leaders. Dennis, Bogdan, Andre, I appreciate it. And all the other leaders, the team. Very thankful to be here. Uh, my heart is for the young people. Uh, I still consider myself young. I did get married young, but I still have a real big passion for the youth and for the young generation. Um, I think the challenges that the young people are facing today are something that are unprecedented. They're something that, you know, every generation had its own challenges, but uh, the poem is good. You know, it's all about self, right? It's all about you. There were societies that really pushed the image of, right, it's for them, for somebody. Um, But the culture that we live in, it's all about us. It's all about you feeling good, the marketing, right? Um, Even what Joe was talking about, right, you go into the gas station, you go to 7-Eleven, everything is there to make it look so good that you came in for the, you know, the sweet tea that's, or not sweet tea, the sugar, no sugar in the tea, right, and you come out with some Twinkies, you know, everything that you came in, it's the complete opposite, right, you're driving down the highway, you know, you're going to go home and you're going to have a salad, with some boys, come on somebody, and then you're like, no, nah, I like Jack. I personally like Jack in the Box. I know not a lot of people like Jack in the Box. I'm like, let's do Jack in the Box tonight because it just looks so good, right? That, that's the culture that we live in. It's so saturated in, in you, in your satisfaction, in your pleasure, and just to make sure that you're having a good time. Customer service, it's all for you. Just make sure to come back again. It's all about you. The world is revolving around you. And that's the challenge where in Christianity, Jesus, he calls and he says the exact opposite. He says, well, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. It can't be about you. Even though everybody around you is living for themselves and saying it's all about me and my comforts and my desires and my pleasures, but if you want to follow me, you have to say no to all of that. That's challenging. That's hard. When you literally have everything that you could have ever thought or imagined and then somebody telling you that look no that's that's not enough that's that's not what life's about that's why in the developed nations, so many people they turn away they they lose their faith because they're like why do i need god when i have everything i have the sugar in my system i have the things on my screen i have a nice car you know it doesn't take to go far look at some parking lots some people are driving nice cars the educations that people are able to get, right? Like, why do we need God? And that's the culture that we're in. And so, you know, being a part of that and seeing that, and for me, myself, I don't, like, put myself from the side and say, well, I'm going to serve people. I myself struggle with that. You know, there's the thing when you're, you're young, you're in youth, and then you get married, although it's starting to change, you know, before you get a house, after you get married. Today, I'm looking, there's a lot of guys, you know, young ladies that are getting houses, before getting married, you know, the culture's already changing. Um, but, you know, before it was like, who's driving what car? And then it's like, well, who's driving or who's living in what house? And who has what job? And who has what kind of RVs? That's a big thing. I didn't know. But, like, RVs, especially during corona, people really got into the RVs. They started paying big money. You know, they don't even live in their own house, but they buy a really big RV. You know, if you, if you have that, no judgment. Um, but, you know, everybody is like... It, it, It can become a competition. It can become this thing where it's like, well, I got to show that, you know, I'm really living well. And this is the society, the culture that we live in. And so the challenges for us as believers, right, these things aren't necessarily bad. You know, it's good to have vehicles to go in that are comfortable. You know, you're not like uptight, but you can, you know, kind of relax a little. That's good. That's healthy. But there's an issue when the attention is shifted from eternity and with Jesus and living, you know, not earthly-minded, but heavenly-minded, kingdom-minded, in light of eternity, we're in the opposite, and even though we go to church and all that, but our our living is not for heaven, it's for the things of this world, and so tonight there's this theme and there's this topic of, of repentance and understanding who we are, who we are in Christ. And being able to come back to the fundamentals. Being able to come back to the beginning. Because in life there are so many things that can distract us. So many things that can bring our attention away from Jesus. There are bondages that the enemy can even entangle us in. What we were singing for the third, third song, does anybody remember? Savior, he can move what? The mountains. My God is mighty to save. You know, I find that in myself so many times, you know, you kind of just go through the motions of, you know, the the worship and praise through the singing. And you kind of look at the words on the screen and you're just repeating them. But how many times do we truly like allow that to go through us? My God is able to save. The God who saved 2,000 years ago, the God who saved in my parents' generation, that same God is still able to save. Do we believe that? Can I hear an amen for those that believe? My God is able to save. He can move the mountains. He can do the impossible, even in each and every single one of our lives. And I just want to go through just the life of a woman. It was already read. I really liked it. That's awesome. Um, But I want to read it again. We're going to go Luke chapter 7, verses 36. We're going to go quickly. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I just want to look at a few things about the life of this woman, and we'll be going into prayer. So this story, every gospel writes a story of or mentions a story of a woman that comes and does something similar to this. Matthew and Mark has a very similar encounter and we believe or most people would agree that that's probably one encounter. Luke has a little bit of a difference. And then in John, there's a little bit more of a difference. Luke is a bit of a unique scenario and this is where... The name of this woman isn't even mentioned. It just says that a woman who was a sinner comes. So that's, that's what we know so far of this woman. What did she do? We don't know. There's people that have different conclusions. She might have been in prostitution. That was a big thing in that day. Um, if people would really shame them, that was one of the leading causes But we don't know exactly to be sure. But she was a woman who was a sinner and it was known. People knew who she was and it wasn't for good reasons. And she herself knew her reputation. She herself knew the things that she did and how people perceived it. But she hears news. She hears that in the Pharisee's house, Jesus is there. Jesus is with Pharisees. And just a little bit of a side note, something that while I was um, preparing for this. If you go just two verses up, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And two verses down, he's with the Pharisee. Those are two completely opposite people, completely opposite people, yet Jesus is with them. Jesus was not just with one category of people. He was not just with the sinner, but he was also with the religious. Something that I find encouraging to myself, be a person that's like Jesus able to find that time to have fellowship with not just one type of person, the ones that you're able to, let's say, uh, have that kind of connection with, but all types of people. We are to live in such a way that even this type of people and this type of people and this type of people can be impacted by our lives. Not just a white American dude or the complete opposite, a white Slavic dude let's be everywhere with everyone they have different understandings but be able to serve the need where it arises but this woman sees that Jesus is here among the Pharisees she knows that that's not a good environment to go into and to me I question and say why why that time Nicodemus if you remember he was a ruler and when does he come to Jesus he comes to him at night because he's afraid of what people are going to think so he just goes at night Like this woman, she could have probably figured something else out. But there was such a call in her heart to go into the presence of Jesus, where Jesus was. That was a very bold move for her to go to Simon's house. Because she knew for a fact that if anybody was going to judge, it was going to be this individual. If anyone was going to look down upon her, it was going to be a Pharisee, a religious ruler. The one who observed the law and who enforced it but yet she looks beyond that she looks beyond the fact that Jesus is in this place and she says look for me what's important is I want to be where Jesus is I need to go to Jesus because only he is able to give me help for my situation for what I'm going through she comes and she begins to do things that may seem unconventional Typically in that culture, if you would come, they would wash your feet, right? Dusty place. They would anoint your head. Just depending on the situation. They would have that kind of hospitality. Later we see that Jesus says that none of that was done for him. Yet this woman comes and she doesn't just wash his feet with, she washes his feet with her own tears. She washes it with her own tears. And not just that, but she lets down her hair. Think of your hair. Especially ladies. I know guys get pretty creative with their hair too. But I want to look at the ladies a little more. Think of your hair. It smells nice. Beautiful. Right? It's good. It's not, I'm, I'm not weird. I have a wife, so I smell her hair sometimes. I don't go smelling uh, people's hair. But hair is a, it's something that even the Bible says. It's, it's, it's our glory. Right? For the woman. It's, it's a glorious thing. It's a beautiful thing in how God intended it to be worn. Yet she sees these feet that are all cried up, that were dusty, that were sweaty and she brings down her hair and she begins to wipe it. It's such a just sign of humility and then she takes this flask or this jar or even in some translations they'd call it a box and she begins to take the contents from within and pour it out on the feet of Jesus and this jar has a lot of significance. The material itself was, it was somewhat common. It was a precious stone, but it was somewhat common. But it was more of the contents within that flask. The, the fragrance that would be within there, the ointment, it would be something that was very, uh, the smell, the aroma that would come from it would be very pleasing. Especially in that time, right? We have a variety of smells today and everybody has their own taste. But especially in that time, That was a very precious thing. And in order to be able to retrieve those contents, you'd have to break this jar or this flask. Typically, it would get sealed with wax, right? Today, we have the Pyrex containers. You know, you put it in there, surround wrap. You know, there's technology. Before, you don't have the same technology. They would seal it with wax to make sure that that which is within does not spoil. And most people would agree that The contents would be at approximately about a year's worth of wages for what she had. How did this woman have it? No idea. How did she get it? Maybe it was through her job. Maybe it was a gift. Maybe it was some sort of inheritance. We don't know. But she has this flask with this ointment. Something so precious. Something so valuable. I think the average salary, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's somewhere probably in the 50s if I'm not mistaken. uh, 50,000 a year. Right? So think of that. What can you get with 50,000 dollars? Something pretty valuable for the most part. Inflation's hitting. it might change in, in a little bit, right? But right now, thinking of what you can get with 50,000 dollars, something that is, it's precious, it's valuable. It takes a whole year to be able to get enough money, right? Not spending a dime anywhere, and just saving for this one thing. That's what this woman has. She has this precious ointment before her, and she decides that it would be fitting. To pour it on the feet of Jesus. See this ointment. It would be typically used on the head. And even looking at her state. And how she comes. She is not even wor- seeing it worthy. Of her to be able to pour it on Jesus' head. She just pours it on his feet. The state that this woman came in. Was something that you rarely see. You don't see any words that this woman speaks. She didn't say anything to Jesus. Not that we read from the passage. But all of it was just a state, a condition that she was in. She was in such humility before Jesus. Knowing her condition. Knowing where she stood in life. Knowing what people knew about her. Yet for all of that, knowing all of these factors. All that was important was being at the feet of Jesus. And giving everything. Crying and just having the true sense of humility before him. Seeing this, Simon, he's looking at Jesus and saying, well, he's a teacher but not really a prophet. If only he knew who was before him. Right? And Jesus, it's very interesting how Jesus kind of flipped the table. Jesus, he looks at Simon and he begins to say the story that, the moral of the story is to show Simon that this woman has shown such love to him compared to him who was, quote, unquote, in a pretty good state. Yet this woman who was broken, she loved so much more, and she approached Jesus in such a different way than he did. He kind of flipped the tables on him. And Simon, obviously knowing what he's thinking, he's like, well, Jesus just called me out for for what it is. Interesting how Jesus does that. But he goes into this parable of the debtors, right? And looking at this objectively, it's easy to say, well, you need to sin a lot in order to feel really forgiven. That's at least some conclusions that people draw from reading something like that. But if you look at it, just, just think about it. Picture it, right? If it's 500 denarii, and if you know a denarii is about a day's wages in that time. So it's approximately two years worth of wages that is owed compared to the other, other individual who it's approximately two months. Okay, somewhere around there, so there's a person who owes about two years' worth, someone who owes two months' worth. Logically, just even thinking of myself, it's a lot easier to come up with the money for the two months' worth rather with the two years' worth. If I have a, a mortgage out right, for two years of just that and just going into that mortgage compared to, let's say, a, a used car payment that's for an older car, it's not as valuable, You know, it's still there, but I can manage that payment. Jesus is showing that the person who is forgiven much, he understands that, look, there is literally nothing that I can do. I owe so much compared to the person who has a little bit less of a debt and says, I think I can handle it. I think I can, I can, I can do it. And when it's forgiven, it's like, well, I, I would have still been able to kind of pull through. I could have done something about that debt compared to the person who owes a lot more. And Jesus drawing the conclusions and saying, look, Simon, what she did and what you did are two completely different things. Two completely different things. And this woman leaves forgiven. This woman leaves. She comes with sins and she leaves forgiven. And how did Jesus direct her at the end? He says, Go with what? With peace. And this woman is forgiven. With the peace that is given only through Jesus. I want to just highlight three observations that I see of this woman. Three things that every single one of us can learn from her story. This woman was in a state where she comes to Jesus knowing that she needs help because of where she is in life. She understands who she is. She's a sinner. But I have a question. Was she the only sinner in that town? I have my doubts. I'm sure there were other people, there were other individuals in that town that really needed forgiveness, that really needed a saving from Jesus. But yet it is just this woman that we read in this passage that's coming in the state of humility before Christ. It is only this woman that goes and we don't see anybody pushing her. We don't see anybody forcing her. Nobody's saying, look, you really need this. Rather, it would probably be the opposite. The environment wasn't really built for repentance. He, she was in a place where people might look at her a little differently. You know, it's like, man, maybe hold off. But for her, she knows this is the time to go into the presence of Jesus because he is able to bring a difference in her situation. The first observation that I see from her. This woman did not care what people thought. This woman, you know, she saw the perspectives. I'm sure she did. But for her, what was more valuable is how she would stand before God. She was in sin and she knew she, knew she needed help. And if she would continue paying attention to what people thought of her, to how people would perceive her coming there in that place, she may have never received that forgiveness. She may have never received that restoration from Christ. She was not oblivious, but she was very bold and able to overcome the thoughts of what others thought. Look, in life, every single one of us at one point is like this woman. Whether it's now, whether it's, it was before, but every single one of us are in this place of debt, in this place of transgression. In this place of sin where you are standing in offense to God. It's no secret. There's no hiding it. But every single one of us has fallen short. Some of us may think, well, I have never killed anyone. Therefore, I, we all understand. You break a part of the, uh, the law. You break all of the law. We are all those who have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. Every single one of us. But yet not all of us take the step of this woman to go into the presence of Jesus boldly and saying, Lord, I need your forgiveness. Because many times the thoughts of other people can be stopping us. Sometimes it's not even what people think. Sometimes it's just what Joe was talking about earlier. There's a lack of a desire to deny ourselves. Because yes, we understand that we're standing in offense to God. But I like it. I like it so much. See, this woman came to a point where she was so sick of her sin. She was so tired of her sin. She didn't care anymore. She needed forgiveness. She needed a new start. She needed a new beginning. And this is something that can only happen on a personal level. Something that can happen every individual for themselves, as Andre was saying earlier. It all flows together. This is not something that your mom can do, your dad can do. I remember growing up, um, there would be like prayer services and they would have prayers for, especially younger kids, there would be times for baptism of the Holy Spirit or, you know, just for salvation, whatever it is. And, you know, the, the kids would come up and pray. I remember seeing this like in multiple occasions where you had that parent. It's like forcing the kid, go, go, go. There's times when even the Holy Spirit can work through that. But look, every single, every single individual has to have that decision in his own heart. Every person has to say, I am done with this sin. I am tired of this sin. Having that moment of realization that I need Jesus. But a lot of times the hurdle could come after that. Well, what will people say? What will people think? That you're such a sinner. How could you be coming and repenting? Oh, what have you done? We as a church, we don't believe in that. But even if there is someone that is here that may look that way dear friend you will never have to stand before that individual in eternity you will never stand and give an account of your life to that individual you will only give an account of your life to Jesus to our lord that is the only person you will stand before you are not standing in offense just you're standing in offense to God the creator and he is the one who determines he is the one who determines where we will spend eternity and this woman she came to that understanding she wasn't going to wait for the next opportunity she wasn't going to wait and say maybe a little bit later maybe next time it'll be a little bit different it'll be a bit easier maybe Jesus will be teaching in such a way it'll stir me a little bit more she said right now this is the time I'm done with it friends don't wait until tomorrow Don't wait until there's a a better opportunity where there's a little bit of a better environment where it just, it feels, you know, like less judgy or whatever. Friends, tonight isn't time. Tonight is a time that God gives us to get right with him. Tonight is an opportunity for every single one of us to come and be real about our situation. But that step comes from every single one of us. Every single one of us are the ones that make that step towards Christ. The second thing that I see is this woman, first, she comes. She, for her, the opinions of the people there was not as important. For, for her, it was what Jesus thought. The second thing I see is the state that this woman comes before Jesus. You know, she doesn't come trying to, with words, explain her way through things. She actually silently just comes from behind. She's not even in front of Jesus. She's just behind Jesus, crying over his feet, wiping her tears from his feet. To me, what I see from this woman is so much more than just words. But it's an actual condition of her heart. It's an actual place that she has reached where all of her being is in complete humility before God. Everything about her has submitted to Jesus. And she has shown that not just by saying something, but just by her actions. Many times, even looking at my life, there were times when I would be repentant, but it was just words. It was not an actual deep repentance that came from within, a complete humility before God. But rather, it was just a standing of words, just saying the right things, but deep, deep inside, I knew that the very next day, I'm going right back to that sin because I love that sin. Because I don't want to fully deny myself. I don't want to fully give it up. This woman was not that way. She fully was willing to give it all up. She was fully willing to go and say, Jesus, look, here is everything. And she did it by her weeping and by her hair. And of course, when we are in true repentance, Her story is not our story, right? That doesn't mean we have to let down our hair for those ladies that already have it. Or guys, you know, if you're losing hair, it's like, what do I do? If it's not as long, what do I do? Right? It's a state of the heart. That's how this woman portrayed her repentance. But what's important is the state of her heart. The condition that she was in before Jesus. In our repentance before the Lord, right, there's one thing when we say, well, we don't care what people think. But how do we come before the Lord? How do we come before Him? Are we truly repentant for what we have done? Or are we coming and we're saying, look, I'm going to pray for forgiveness, but tomorrow, like, I'm going right back to that. Friends, that is not true repentance. True repentance is going one direction. All of your desires are on this side. And true repentance is making a complete 180-degree turn. And everything back there, you don't even see it anymore. Everything is going in this direction where you turn your back towards sin and you turn your face towards God and your pursuit is of him that is true repentance a true repentance before the Lord and the third thing the third thing that I see from this woman she came she didn't care what the people thought second thing she came and she had a true heart of repentance And the third thing was this alabaster jar. She came and brought something that was so valuable to her. Something that was so valuable in that time. She could have taken this flask and she could have done so many things with this. She could have taken it, broken it, and used it on herself, herself, smelling real good. You walk by, everybody knows like, oof, that smells good. Everybody sees from the side. Everybody's attention is just pointed, like, whoa, what was that? So nice. You could sell it for a profit and buy something else, whatever it be. Live a bit more comfortably. Have a few more things that she didn't have at the moment. Seeing all of these things, she makes a conclusion. She makes a conclusion that she will give up this, such, this valuable thing, this ointment, this flask of ointment to the feet of Jesus. Although she could have spent it. She could have done something with it. But her her heart of humility was so deep was that she was willing to give the most valuable thing to Jesus. I believe that when she broke that flask and when that that ointment was being applied and when all of that began to proceed, there was something that began to happen in that room. There was an aroma that did not just impact Jesus and what he was smelling but even the individuals that were around Jesus even those that were in the house of Simon they began to smell that her sacrifice was not something that just was pleasant to Jesus but he was even pleasant to those that were present in that place see in the same way similar to what I was saying before the culture that we're in Pushes it all on us. Live comfortably, live well. What's the most valuable thing that we have? Not time. Not time, because that's always going to be the thing. The most valuable thing that we have? Our phones? Social media? To us? People's perception of us? Right? It's kind of all linked through. All of that encompasses our lives. The most valuable thing that you have is you, your life. From the very youngest age that we have, right, from the very youngest, it's always what are you going to become? What are you going to make of your life? What are you going to do with yourself? How are you going to live a life where you're going to look back and be like, man, I did some great things in life. Lives can be wasted. Lives can be used well, right? There are some people that they have no benefit to society. They're only a drain. There are people that do um, good things. They create things, innovators, and all those things are great. But one of the most valuable things you could do with a precious thing like your life is to lay it at the feet of Jesus and surrender it. Although to someone looking from the side may look and say, what a waste. And the other passages uh, that talk about a woman also bringing ointment, that's one of the comments made by one of the disciples. It's easy to look from the side and say, imagine what could have come from this if it was just used a little bit differently. Imagine what could have come of your life if you didn't surrender it to Jesus. The amount of fun you can have. The amount of satisfaction you can have. The things that you can make of yourself. You would be known. People would know you. People would respect you. Friends, and it's true. In life, if you really put in the work, put in the time, if you dedicate your, things, your life to certain things, you, you can become respected. You can become a leader of society in different aspects. It's true. But all of that will pass away. The one who wants to keep his life will lose it. But the one who wants to gain his life, what do they do? Friends, if we want to live a life that's worth living, Laying it at the feet of Jesus is what will have the most reward. It is not something that lasts 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, 100 years. It's something that lasts forever. When you give yourself up to Christ, there is certain things that happen. When you come and you repent and you lay it all down, you deny yourself, you pick up your cross and you follow him and you say, Jesus, here's my life. I give it all to you. It's something that's pleasing to him. 100%. We read that when there is people that repent, right? When people turn to the Lord, all of the heavens are rejoicing. But I see something even beyond that. When a person repents and gives everything into the hands of the Lord, it's not something that's just going to be impactful and something that the Lord will rejoice over. Friends, your life will begin to be a pleasing aroma to those that surround you. In a daily basis. You will not only be a blessing to just Jesus. Friends, you'll be a blessing to all of those that are around you. When you surrender all things to him. Because now your life is so much more than just you. But now you are an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And now it is not you who lives. But it is Christ who lives with you. He lives within you. And trust me, it is much better to have Jesus around Than any of us. It is much better to have Jesus on display. Rather than any of us. That is the ultimate goal. To be able to be Christ. To those that are around us. To say Jesus I surrender everything to you. I give it all into your hands. Here is what I have. And where we allow Jesus. To lead in our lives. Where we allow the Holy Spirit. To speak through us. To be able to do a work within us. And through us. What's that very first step friends? It's all just coming to that point of realization. That I need to come to the feet of Jesus. It's a progression. It's a progression where we come. We come to the realization. We we are not looking at the opinions of people. We focus in on Christ. We come in true humility before him. And we lay it all down. Everything that you wanted. In life, all of your desires, all of your passions, you lay it down at the feet of Jesus and allow him to do a work within you and through you to impact this generation. Friends, that is so glorious to live a life that is beyond you. In a society that tells you you have to do something and be able to reject that and say no. It's all about Jesus. It's all about His will. It's all about what He desires, not what I desire. It's not about my appetites. It's about what He wants for me in my life. And that is a life worth living. That is a life worth living. Friend, and I'm going to be coming to a close here, and I, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in life. Everybody of us, we all have different phases. We're all in different paths and different Area. some of us studying some of us in school some of us being lazy at home go to work go to school do something with your life everybody's in a different phase everybody's in a different place but all of the things everything that we have here 80 years and a lot of us will be gone 100 years probably most of us will be gone All of the things that we fight for in life, all the things that we desire, they are so quickly fleeting. They seem like they last forever, but truly, they don't. And you know, the best way to learn in life is not from your mistakes, but from the mistakes of others. If you look at the people that truly gained everything in this world, they have some of the most broken lives you could ever imagine. They have no peace. They have to resort to substances, to other things, because there's no peace inside. Look, there is only one thing that can be found, only through Jesus, the peace that he gives. It cannot compare to anything else in this world. The peace that Jesus gives, the shalom that he gives, being whole in Christ, having a purpose-driven life, knowing that you are at the center of His will and not your own, and not of your own desires, but living for the glory of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's a decision that each and every single one of us has to make. It's a decision and a place that each and every single one of us has to come to. Look, you may even look at yourself and think, I'm good, I go to church. Friends, simon also thought he was good the pharisee also thought he was good but he was just in the same way in need of forgiveness as this woman was but he thought i'm fine i I do i do all the religious things I, i do them but then there was this woman who came with a complete different attitude she said jesus i need you and what did she receive she received forgiveness she received the peace of christ friend, that is able to be given to you tonight. You can either be like Simon and say, I'm good, I'm fine. All this stuff about repentance, oh, I'm good. Or you could take the flip side and come and be in humility before your Lord. That's a step. That is a very big step. When we live in a time that is so prideful, Being able to admit to fault is such a difficult thing. And to be able to say that, that is a big step. But dear friends, that's what it will take. It will take a full and complete denial of yourself. But there's forgiveness. There is healing that can take place in your life. There is newness that can take place in your life. Look, you may look at your life and you just see a bunch of scribbles. I have a very bad handwriting. You just look, and all you see is scribbles. It's chaotic in your life. I have blank pages here somewhere. But dear friends, Jesus is able to take that which is chaos, wipe all of that away, wipe all of that away, and give you the blank page. Completely fresh, completely new. Not remembering the things of old, but coming and saying, Lord, I give it all at your feet. I'm starting afresh. Do with me as you please. Friend, he is able to raise you up. My God is mighty to save. He is able to save you in the place that you are in. The deepest pit that you can be in. The strongest bondages that may be over your life. Dear friend, Jesus is able To bring freedom. He is able to bring restoration. Do we believe that? Do we believe that dear friends? Jesus is able. Maybe you're looking at your life and saying. Well is he? I don't think so. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. Dear friends. And it's not important what I know. What I don't know. What I see is what is happening in the scriptures. What we see that Jesus does in today's day. He can take the worst sinner. The deepest sinner the biggest hypocrite, and make them the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. That's what we see in the Bible. Apostle Paul, who was the one who persecuted the church, who wanted nothing to do with this Jesus, God turned his life around, and he became the greatest source of evangelism in his time. Dear friends, God is able, God is able to do a work even in your life, even in your situation. But what will you do about it? The ball is in your court. It's on your side of the court. Will you take that step towards him? Will you take that step? Or will you allow the thoughts of man stand in the way between your decision of coming of repentance before God? Just to close, and we'll be going to prayer. There will be that day where we will stand before our God. How will it be? John writes in his first letter, And he says that, may we abide in Christ so that when at the time of his coming, we would not shrink in shame. Look, there is a time that's coming. Jesus, he is right at the door. If you are looking at all the things happening in life and you're blind to see that we're living in the end times, I pray that the Lord opens your eyes. Friends, we are living in the last days. Your sin, a little bit more, a little bit more, and it is no more. And forever in condemnation. And forever looking in guilt and shame, knowing that I heard the words. I knew I had the opportunities. But there was something that didn't let me inside. Or will you take the opportunity that the Lord gives you? So that you would not shrink in shame. But you would stand boldly, knowing that you are covered by His grace. You are not standing in the righteousness of your own. But you are standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That covers all things. And made things, made all things new in your life. We're going to stand. Let's stand. We're going to pray right now.